You're listening to a Stranger Cast at thestranger.com. Hey, it's Wednesday, July 18th, and I'm Eli Sanders, and this is Blabbermouth, the Stranger podcast in which we talk about what's going on this week. This week has been extra surreal. Donald Trump's summit in Helsinki with Vladimir Putin caused international outrage and a lot of outrage at home, and particularly outrage for Dan Savage and Rich Smith, who are here to talk about what Trump said and then re-said and then lied about not having said. After that, Sasha Baron Cohen's Who is America? Good question. Is the show worth watching? Also good question. And Katie Herzog is here to tell us. Finally, in honor of the passing of Prime Day, a movie that Sean Nelson says you need to see right now. It's Boots Riley's Sorry to Bother You. But first, Dan Savage and Rich Smith on Donald Trump's Extra Insane Week. Rich, hello. Hey, Eli. Hi, Dan. I would rather be anywhere else. <laughs> oh, did I say would rather be? I wouldn't <laughs> rather be anywhere else. Here right now with you and Rich. Oh, that Dan has used a double negative. He to also say read the opposite that of from a script. Trips me up. Did Stephen Miller write that for you? <laughs> <laughs> the Stephen Miller band wrote that for me. <laughs> the original Stephen Miller. So President Donald Trump was there under duress, clearly reading from a script saying that he didn't say what everyone heard him say in Finland with the Russian president uh, when he said (laughs) on international television that he believes Putin, basically, that Putin didn't meddle in the American presidential election in 2016. Why would they or why would I believe that? Or there's no reason I would believe that, I think, is what President Trump said. And he once again took a shit on the American intelligence uh, agencies. Uh, and what was really staggering about the walk back after 24 hours of Sturm and Drang and even criticism from Trump rim job experts like Newt Gingrich and a mild uh, shrug from Paul Ryan, uh, Trump couldn't even walk it back without requalifying it and ending up in the same place that he was before. He said, I've said this many times, I accept our intelligence community's conclusion that Russia's meddling in the 2016 election took place. Could be other people also. <laughs> a lot of people out there. That's immediately uh, providing evidence that Trump does not accept the intelligence right. community's claims that because Russia interfered on Trump's behalf. People f- forget to say that you know that they, they, they inter- interfered to help Trump um, is the phrase that's always a lie. And people are starting to push back against the term using the term interfere or meddling. Yeah, uh, like meddling is when someone you know shows up at your house and starts rearranging couch cushions and telling you where you ought to put your potted plants. This is criminal. They hacked the DNC, the DCCC, and they fished uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign, and then they gave all that shit to WikiLeaks, who slowly dripped it out over the course of the campaign in order to undermine Hillary Clinton's like. Uh, uh, entire campaign. And there's also evidence that they got all sorts of analytics from the Democratic National Committee that they may have. There are hints in the Mueller indictments that came down right before Trump went to Russia. Hints that these may have been provided to the Trump campaign itself illegally. And then right. Putin said that he also preferred Trump over Hillary Clinton during the course of the campaign. And on the analytics, this just rose up out of the fever swamps of Twitter and into my eyeballs recently, but it seemed 
kind of persuasive. So these analytics were stolen from the Hillary Clinton campaign. Right around the same time, the Trump campaign announced that they were redirecting their ad spending to states like Wisconsin, where Trump then won narrowly. So maybe... Thank you, Jill Stein. Yeah, thanks, Jill Stein. But also, thanks... (laughs) Thanks... Anthropologist. <laughs> no, 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 Eli. Eli, make your point. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, Jill Stein. For those of you listening, yeah. couldn't tell which way my side eye was going. It's going Rich's way. Please, Eli, continue. We've thought it might have been Jill Stein, although the math doesn't completely add up. It adds up in a couple states, but two, only two out of three. We've thought it might have been that the Trump campaign knew exactly who to target with Facebook ads in places like Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania. But maybe it was just that they got the analytics from the Hillary Clinton campaign and knew where the Clinton campaign knew it was vulnerable and then just bombarded those counties with advertising. And that was enough. The other thing in the indictment that was cause for concern was literally they hacked Hillary Clinton's email the night that Trump went on television and said, Hey, Russia, if you're listening, please hack Hillary Clinton's emails. Right. And I was thinking, okay, well, maybe the like genius loophole that Trump found is that it's not a crime if Russia colludes with him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He was just asking, you know, not really seriously or anything. The fact that they did it was on them, not him. What Trump keeps scribbling places is no collusion, but he spells collusion with one L. So maybe he's referring to something else entirely. Oh my God. You're talking about the photos that came out of the written statement that Trump was forced to read after he came back from his disaster treason summit with Putin And uh, on the pages that were printed out for him to read from, he had X'd out certain things and in his crazy – Including that the federal government should bring to justice the (laughs) Russians who interfered in the election. He X'd that out. Not going to say that as president of the United States. And then uh, no collusion, one L. Yeah. Another thing about the indictment – and by the way, the indictments we're talking about is that before Trump went on his little mission uh, to uh, talk to Vladimir Putin, Mueller uh, indicted 12 uh, Russian officers, uh, intelligence officers, with hacking the DNC, DCCC, etc. He also, though, included in that indictment was um, a, a U.S. Congress person was who referenced was referenced as 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 looking for dirt on their political uh, opponent. No, receiving it, receiving, asking it. for and receiving from the Russians. And this is a, a Congress person in Florida who has not yet been identified. How many fucking Congress well, people are in the Florida? Can a congressional candidate. It could have been someone candidate. who didn't win. Okay, potentially. Yeah. This, this is just to say that the the, the scope uh, of the probe and the scope of the c- collusion two L's you know in, in, involves Congress involves Republicans in Congress in a serious way. Yeah, there's another uh, connection to a, I think a sitting member of Congress in the uh, arrest of the young Russian student. And I'll put that in quotes. Who actually seems to have been an, a Russian agent infiltrating the GOP by just saying the magic words, I love guns and I love the prayer breakfast, right? And so she was in the door at the NRA, in the door at the National Prayer Breakfast. Bettina is her name. Bettina. And uh, she apparently had or was in the process of arranging a big meeting with a sitting Republican congressman, and that's kind of central to the charges against her. So we will see where this all goes. And, and the other part of the NRA thing before we leave the NRA is the NRA had hundreds of millions of dollars to spend on this election and no one knows where that money came from. Right. Right. But you know, Eli, not everyone agrees that Trump did such a bad job. 
Oh, yeah? There are some commenters called Jack Goldsmith and Glenn Greenwald mm. who think that this, over, that this is all a bunch of overreaction and that he doesn't like seeing liberals screaming for the United States government to, you know, um, expand powers um, and attack uh, other countries, especially a country like Russia, which has so many nuclear um, weapons, um, especially a country like Russia, who you don't want to alienate or isolate and increase tensions with because, you know, there could be some nuclear let me, more fallout. I missed this from Glenn Greenwald this week, but let me see if I don't I know can... how you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> he was tweeting vociferously. Uh, so he's like, why are liberals defending the national security state and all its excesses? Why are they cheering his, for war with Russia? Is that I can run down his argument. He's called for war with Russia. Well, that's the exaggeration. He doesn't want to increase tensions with Russia. It's a, it's a good thing that Trump goes to meet Putin and tries to normalize Trump's relations. line also. It's a good line that I'm trying to avoid World War Three exactly. by like not defending NATO countries. But can you um, – I mean, one – the whole Republican line forever against Democrats and against Obama is, is that he was an appeaser, that he was too nice to Putin, that he was a wimp. Also that, people, that he was alienating our allies. That right. was another central charge against Obama, a bullshit charge leveled against Obama by the Republicans in Congress all through his eight years. And here we have the guy who's taking a wrecking ball to the, the Atlantic Alliance, to NATO, to the World Trade Organization, really to the world America the, the order America constructed uh, after the Second World War, and he is destroying it. Right, and, and of course, Glenn Greenwald's position would be WTO is actually bad, and, and the fact that we have this kind of global capitalist system is what is going to produce more and more Trumps, so it's better if we dismantle it. Maybe Trump is not the person to oversee that dismantling, but maybe it would be better if we had less free trade. And then his other argument to the NATO would be, I'm not saying let's dismantle NATO and ruin a, a, a system of you know our allies that have kept um, peace in, in Europe over the, you know since World War II. I'm saying maybe let's not make so many treaties that um, make force us to go to war in ways that could be potentially disastrous. Uh, his his general critique of the Mueller probe is Mueller re releasing the his indictments when he does in a kind of political manner just stokes this sort of Trumpian fear that there's a deep state campaign out to get them. And I might hope ultimately a deep state campaign out to get this guy. <laughs> I hope our democracy has some sort of immune system. I hope there's some T cells kicking into gear right now to take this fucker out. And I'm sorry, I should attribute that to Jack Goldsmith, who, 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 wrote, who wrote a piece about the uh, um, basically a, a kind of counter argument piece of, uh, about the, the Mueller probe. And he also insists on uh, civility. The United States hacks and uh, meddles in elections all of the time. We, are, of course, should suspect this coming right back at us. So what we need to do is actually create treaties with other nations and determine, okay, what is an act of war? What are the ground rules here so that everybody knows? Because right now we're living in this space where like, wait, okay, so Russia attacked the DNC. They hacked the emails. They got involved with our election. It's not clear where the international, you know, defenses are supposed to align, you know, based on this, especially when America is just as culpable as yeah, in, in places but just in Central America. Like, rewind for a second to 2016. The guy who won ran on America first, right? That seemed to be the winning idea. America first. So, okay, like, was 
America's election manipulated by the Russian interference. It's not unreasonable to try to find that out, right? Mm -hmm. Should an American president stand on the stage with Putin and defend America's interests? It's not unreasonable to think that, especially if he ran on America first. And that's kind of what Americans seem to want. Like this side. So you want Trump to do what he said he was going to do, to promise to be America first. I just want the left to not get so caught up in. To be fair, this is basically just Glenn Greenwald and one other guy on Twitter. (laughs) So yeah, not the left. Those two dudes. I'm like, you know, it's it's more interesting. There are two dudes from the left sitting here right here with you now who agree with you mostly. So well, this well, Well, no, it's interesting because the Republican response to this was pretty obvious, right? They cowered. The safe Republicans rebuked Trump in a little bit stronger words than the non-safe Republicans. Jeff Flick tweeted a tweet. Oh my goodness! And and yeah, Trump trembled. And they called for potentially maybe looking into sanctions rather than doing what they should be doing, which is funding our um, the protection of our election systems, funding our voting machines, which are way behind and are completely vulnerable to hacking. Dan Coates... Looking at the mountains of evidence that Trump is acting in in Putin's interest, that Trump is delivering to Putin everything that Putin has ever wanted, including the destruction of the European Union, including the destruction of NATO, uh, the the WTO. It's as if, you know, the police walk in, there's blood everywhere, there's murder weapons stacked up all over the room, and somebody is missing, but... We can't find the body, therefore we just don't know whether we should arrest the person standing in the corner covered in blood and gore. And that fucker is Trump. Right. And Congress, which is in the hands of Republicans right now, has the power to condemn the president's actions, has the power to censure the president, has the power to call committee committee hearings and say, you know, what happened in Finland? Like two and a half hours when Trump met alone with Putin, and there's been some talk of subpoenaing, subpoenaing? How do you say that word? Issuing a subpoena to the translator, Trump's translator. And then today you hear that he might not have had his own translator in the room. Really? Yes. Ah. I was counting on that one translator as the like witness to whatever went down over two hours. I'm just repeating something I read on the internet. The internet isn't always right, but this is the, the fear and speculation now, and I just want to make everyone else terrified and scared like I am. All right. Well, well and then congratulations then, on that. Well then, there, well, then Glenn Greenwald might say, though, that Trump is not really covered in, in blood and gore. Are you ready for this counterargument? No. <laughs> I, I didn't realize Glenn Greenwald was our unindicted co-host yeah. of this show. <laughs> Well, you know, he shows up in his pugnacious little, you know, forceful way. But the, to the to the point of whether or not, um, you know, because another part of this scandal, of course, is the idea that Trump is completely in the hands of Putin and that Putin has compromised on him. Trump's actions is that the Russians have something on him, right? And then the, uh, the counter argument is which Trump, of Trump's actions are you talking about? You're saying that um, uh, Putin is up, or sorry, Trump is up Putin's ass, but he's also up it, Duterte's ass. It he's goes also all the way Kim back Jong-un's. to the Republican National Convention when they rewrote the Republican platform uh, to give the Russians what they wanted on Ukraine for no reason, and then they denied that they did it, and then it came out that they had done it. Yeah, but um, if you look at what Trump has done on policy, he's pulled out of the Iran deal, which um, Iran, which Russia helped to, to forge and pisses um, Russia off that we pulled out of it. He has also bombed Syria, um, a Russian ally. He has also um, given arms to Ukraine, uh, deadly arms to Ukraine, to help fight against the Russians. And he signed a bill adding uh, sanctions to Russia. I mean, under so- duress, Congress <laughs> passed that bill because they were terrified, like 
freaked it, out. You, and, you, and, you and, might and he say has not enforced these sanctions. Yeah. He he signed it and he hasn't. You know, the executive branch is supposed to, to the regulatory state is controlled by the executive branch, and they haven't executed any of these sanctions. I want to ju- I want to get sure. off this because you're scaring me. <laughs> no, I just something that Trump has done just generally is sh- break norms so hard, so completely shatter them that I have to spend a lot of time like asking myself extremely basic questions like, wait, what do I expect of the president in Helsinki? Like, what should a Congress do? What is the purpose of this meeting, of our relationship with NATO? Like, you know, and, and so I, I find that Glenn Greenwald in, in entertaining these kinds of uh, questions that he's asking, rather than the obviously coward, is, is helpful to sort of, yeah, shore up what, what where I stand or what, you know, what my views are. Can we talk about the P-tape now? Okay, yeah, we can talk about yeah. that. I want to talk about this play. <laughs> Putin was asked directly if they have compromise on Donald Trump. And he issued a non-denial denial. Right. Why would we? Not we don't. Not I don't. Not it's literally in my back pocket. Not it's the first thing I played for him when we were alone together was that <laughs> tape. It was a non-denial denial. And basically a, a lying confirmation of the existence of the P-tape. It's out there. They've got it. They've got him by his urine Russian hooker, urine-soaked balls. I'm sure his cabinet is rushing to make him issue a correction to the Putin's cabinet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it was to me. It was just a continued like pleasure in fucking with our minds. It may exist. It may not. Why would we have that? Is kind of what he said. Well, of course. Oh, did you I say why would we have it? I said why wouldn't we? Right, have it? right. <laughs> I meant why wouldn't we? All right. <laughs> Next, we are going to talk about a profound question raised by Sasha Baron Cohen. Who is America? Rich, it's not just the war between Russia and the United States that we need to be thinking about. It's the war between your stomach and your life. Yeah, every it happens. I fight this battle every four to five hours every day. Because it's like you need to eat. You can't stop what you're doing to deal with it. And the only fast things that deliver are not what you want. Right. And the big battle is because I'm not a magician, I can't summon or conjure certain kinds of food from my favorite delis or restaurants. And so if only there was a service out there, an application maybe on my phone I could use to summon these foods. There I could is, win this war finally. There's an app for that, and it's called Postmates. 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 The app that adds a delivery option for your favorite restaurants. Imagine anything you want to eat delivered. Edamame delivered. You don't have to drive, park, or even talk on the phone to order. Just download the app and order 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Postmates will bring you what you want within the hour. Tacos delivered. You can even see where your food truck is and track your driver surveillance delivered you forgot to get eggs and milk no problem craving a tasty burger check looking for the perfect bottle of wine or a summer beer order up postmates is like a booty call but for food food porn delivered for a limited time postmates is giving you 100 of free delivery credits for your first seven days to start your free deliveries download the app today and use the code blabbermouth that's code Blabbermouth for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. Save the hassle. Get the food you love fast at Postmates with code Blabbermouth. Kitty Hertzog, hello. Hello. 
Who is America? That's, Great question. That's the new uh, series from Sasha Baron Cohen, who is well known for slipping into disguise and getting absurd, gross characters to say even more absurd, gross things than you would expect from them. Mm-hmm. You watched the first episode. I did. There's a big debate about this show and whether it's uh, what America needs right now or actually more of what we don't need. First of all, describe what happens on the first episode. So there's a lot going on in this show. There's about four segments, if I'm if I recall correctly, and a couple of them work really well. Like the one that everybody's talking about, where he takes on the gun lobby, is incredible. He poses as this Israeli IDF special forces dude, and easily it doesn't seem like it takes months prompting at all can convinces all of these republicans and gun lobbyists to to star in a, a fake commercial that he's made for uh kindergartens a program that will teach our toddlers how to shoot intruders and so that works really well like arming four-year-olds arming four-year-olds mm-hmm. yeah and it's like and this is this is just it's incredible television and it's also incredibly disturbing because these like these are people who are in our government and they're like actually believe this shit they actually think that you well, know, you he should... gave a four-year-old the nuclear launch code. <laughs> that is true. That is true. The gun. Yeah, just put a you know put a toy on, like put a, a teddy bear, put the gun in a teddy bear, and then it's it's fine. Um, so that works really well because it's sort of exposing these powerful people, and they and they are easily humiliated. But he also there are a few segments where he's not taking on powerful people; he's taking on like regular Americans. A couple of them are rich, so maybe they're a little less regular than the most of us. But in that case. I think the show actually does do a disservice. Like, there's this one segment where he uh, he goes to the home of of a Trump delegate in South Carolina and her husband, who, apropos of nothing, seems incredibly homosexual to me. And he, um, <laughs> yeah, my gaydar was pinging yeah, hard. Too. Yeah, that was a Marcus Bachman situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he and he's and he's wearing an NPR T-shirt. And maybe I, I take offense to this because I'm also wearing an NPR T-shirt. And he <laughs> and he and. He's, he poses as this sort of this like a liberal that doesn't really exist or maybe exists in it, like there's one or two of them. Like, uh, you know, this guy talks about how his wife is having an affair with a dolphin, how he won't let his son pee standing up, but he requires his daughter to pee standing up. And he has these compliance cams and his he daughter's by free apologizing bleeding. for being a cisgendered white male. Right. Actually, that, that part I could actually see happening in real life. Um, but it is just this really over the top portrayal of a, of a lib. And it and I don't think that that does america does any of us any service it's it's like, so wait when he's making fun of conservatives you're okay with yes. it when he's making fun of liberals yes. you have a problem no it's when he's making fun of powerful people that's mm. i'm okay with it but these people aren't powerful they're they're the wealthy delegates. the delegates they're not they're they're not they don't they're just regular people i mean they're trump supporters but, cogs but he's in a not, machine that's destroying this country. that's true but he's not he's not making fun of them he's making fun of like it's they're going to walk away from this encounter thinking that liberals are insane. They're not going to come away with it thinking like, oh, these are reasonable people. And so I think that's the problem with this show. I watched it too. And I was a huge fan of Borat. I almost fell out of my chair when I saw that in a movie theater laughing so hard. It's a huge fan of the Ali G show. And I couldn't get through this. I couldn't get all the way to the, the, the kindergartens uh, segment because I was just – we have Twitter and the internet now. Like what was so genius about Borat was, you know, he was exposing people for how awful they were at bottom and everyone's exposing themselves for how awful they are constantly (laughs) online. I get a steady diet of that all day long. I just have to open Twitter at 3 a.m. when I'm taking a piss and there's everyone outing themselves for the shit bags they actually are. And it's just not as entertaining to see. And 
maybe I'll go back and rewatch it to see the kindergartens segment. But that segment with the conservatives, uh, the Trump delegates from South Carolina is when I turned it off because I didn't see the point in it. And it was really, and I almost, almost sympathized with those two because they were, he was leveraging social niceties and the politeness of these two fuckers uh, to kind of humiliate them. And it just made you feel, you, you just kind of ached for them. Well, yeah. is it also perhaps that we are so inundated with deceit and lying? That's as, another line of argument about the show. Yeah, as vehicles for uh, manipulating us that we don't want to see it from anyone, even if they are, you know, quote unquote, on our side. This is an argument that Hank Stuver makes in the Washington Post. He says, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen, his tactic is the same as the tactic used by Project Veritas, the right-wing group that disguises itself. Yeah, but and- Veritas edits things to make them appear to be the opposite of what was yeah, actually and they're said. Yeah, and, and they don't come in with a camera crew. Veritas, I mean, that's all like undercover shit, right? That's filming people without their knowledge. Right, right. Awareness. This is, I mean, there's a full... And like- dishonest editing is uh, Project Veritas' specialty to, to, to make people look like they said something that they didn't actually say. But I, 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 think, I read Stuver's piece and I, and I think he's right. The, you know, we have a problem right now, not with fake news, but with the charge that any news that somebody who's powerful doesn't like, they just call fake news. Now you have demagogues and, and dictators all over the world now borrowing that, that phrase to, to attack the free press and attack the legitimate press, as Trump did in the United Kingdom this week when he attacked CNN. And, and so uh, Stuber's argument that, you know, do we need a show that is just generating more kind of fake news and giving more cover to people who want to accuse the actual news of being fake news? And maybe not. Maybe we needed that in the 90s uh, and aughts when Bruno and, uh, and uh, Borat were out. Maybe we don't need that so much. Now. And do we need more shamelessness and lying and manipulation that when you talked about kind of feeling or aching for the Republicans who were just being kind and polite to uh, Sasha Baron Cohen in disguise and letting him in like they're being genuine, polite people, even if you don't like their politics in that moment, he's being a disguised kind of creep, even though he's doing uh, something, you know, for a political purpose that we might agree with. Stuver writes, if nothing else, who is America might cause its audience to examine its own double standards. To giggle at and delight in Cohen's pranks is to believe that you can have it both ways, that you can be horrified at the collapse of truth and democracy and then laugh at a guy who seeks to undermine whatever remains of trust. Okay. I mean, so Sarah Palin is apparently on a forthcoming episode and he posed as a wounded warrior. No, that is a lie. Oh, is that, is that yeah, not that's true? not true. His character rides a scooter and Showtime and Baron Cohen have now uh, responded to her charges mm-hmm. uh, that there was you know stolen valor and he passed himself off as a wounded vet and that's just absolutely not true as we will see as we will be able to determine well, so, who's lying so she to can, us so she can segment. use that she can i mean i don't i don't think that that republic like this is a showtime show it's sasha baron cohen i don't think many republicans are probably going to watch this show what they're going to see is sarah palin you know spouting off about the, the stolen yeah, valor but bullshit. they believe any fucking lie that comes out of sarah palin's mouth sarah palin opened the door for donald trump and the, the the one saving grace for me in the show, and and that will be the the segment I watch, is anything that prompts Sarah Palin to to shit her pants. Oh, and I'm spin I'm, in I'm very much four. looking forward to this, but I'm just not sure that it's going to change anybody's mind about you know who to vote for. It's not going to change a Republican's mind, right. Because that presupposes right. the Republican mind. So you'll keep watching, Katie? Yeah. 
Dan, you've just got one segment that you're going to... I've got to get through the other half of that segment because I've got to see the kindergarten. The Bernie segment. segment is good because Bernie cannot be punked. He's too... Uh, he's just too... Like, he just can't be punked. You can't punk Bernie Sanders. It opens with Bernie. Yeah. And if you've wondered what Bernie's side eye looks like, you're going to want to watch that segment because <laughs> it's 80% side eye as he glares at the people out, out of outside the camera range who obviously set the interview up. Yeah. Somebody on his staff got let go that day. <laughs> Next, we're going to talk about a movie you need to see. It's called Sorry to Bother You. It's the perfect antidote to a week in which we were barraged with messages telling us to observe the national holiday that is Prime Day. You know, Eli, I think I want to start this time. It's been so hot here in Seattle. and I've been especially grateful for the cool comfort of my bowl and branch sheets. You know why they keep you so cool? I don't know. Why is that, Eli? Because they're pure. 100% pure? 100% pure. Organic cotton? Or has that cotton been sullied by the horrors of washes? <laughs> Inorganic washes? Organic cotton. Amazing. No synthetics. Nothing. Pure. Which means they start out super soft, and then they get even softer. You could sniff these sheets. So pure. You buy directly from them, so you're essentially paying wholesale prices. It's like getting them from the factory pure. Luxury sheets can cost up to $1,000 in the store, but Bowl and Branch sheets are only a couple hundred bucks. Everyone who tries Bowl and Branch sheets loves them. That's why they have thousands of five-star reviews, and Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, and Fast Company are all talking about Bowl and Branch, even... Three U.S. presidents sleep on the bowling branch. Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama and Michelle Obama. Shipping is free and you can try them for 30 nights. If you don't love them, send them back for a refund. But I doubt you'll want to send them back. There's no risk and no reason not to give them a try. To get you started right now, Blabbermouth listeners get $50 off your first set of sheets at bowlingbranch.com promo code. Blabbermouth. Go to bowlandbranch.com today for $50 off your first set of sheets. That's B-O-L-L and branch.com promo code. Blabbermouth. Bowlandbranch.com promo code. Blabbermouth. Sean Nelson, hello. Hello. Did you know that Prime Day was this week? I did. Yes. How could I not know? How could anyone <laughs> not know? How I'm could... not a Prime member. Yes, but you know. I did know. You know. <laughs> You're right. Everyone knew. And you have a movie, Sean, that is the antidote to this week when we are being programmed to just buy more of Bezos's stuff. It just occurred to me because I had seen this movie, Sorry to Bother You by Boots Riley um, the night before. And then I woke up and realized, oh, it's Prime Day. And it just seemed like the, this movie, is, it's like it's it's really rare to see a hard anti-capitalist you know, pro-labor, surreal science fiction comedy <laughs> uh, at all, but especially, you know, sort of right now and seeing it in, in theaters, it just, it was really bracing. You said uh, in writing about it for The Stranger's blog that usually you think ideology is the enemy of good art, that ideologically heavy movies, like you're saying, are uh, sometimes no surprise kind of dull, but this one is incredibly entertaining it's very entertaining it's really funny um and it is i mean it, it, it's it's ideologically driven but it takes anti-capitalism as 
uh, sort of moral certainty and leaps off from there. So what's the setup? Lakeith Stanfield plays a guy who is broke and living in Oakland and has no prospects. And so he needs a job because uh, he's four months behind on his rent. So he gets a job as a telemarketer um, for this sort of mega corporation, some department. He works in the basement and um, he is selling encyclopedias. And of course, he's a telemarketer. And as anyone knows who has received a call from a telemarketer, uh, no one wants to talk to him. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he gets a tip from his uh, his cubicle mate, Danny Glover, um, that if he wants to start you know, succeeding in the company, he will start using his white voice. Ah. And uh, he's very, uh, he's very, uh, Cassius is his name, the character. He's, he's very sort of skeptical and doesn't ha- say, says he doesn't have one. And, and, uh, and then turns out he does have one and it's voiced by David Cross. <laughs> um, so he starts making these calls and David Cross's voice is very conspicuously dubbed in. Um, and then he, of course, starts ascending in the company in ways that he never could have imagined. And uh, so you say this is a Swiftian satire. It is. I'm not a big spoiler conscious person, but I'm going to observe the spoiler alert uh, convention because right. alert, there is a alert. there is a massive uh, turn about maybe a little more than halfway through the film where the tone goes from sort of you know absurd and and farcical to like hard science fiction almost um, satirical stuff that that really calls to mind. Uh, Jonathan Swift and H.G. Wells, really specifically. For those of our listeners, and in this moment in time, there could be a lot of them who don't know who Jonathan Swift was. Who are we even talking about? Jonathan Swift was a, uh, an English uh, satirist best known for writing Gulliver's Travels. Um, <clears throat> but I think the other piece of his that is um, that is really well known and usually referenced is uh, it's called A Modest Proposal, uh, in which he he proposes modestly that um, the uh, starving Irish people um, can eat their own children if they're so worried about starving to death. Um, and that was, it was a means of exposing the, uh, the indifference uh, towards that horrible famine uh, in Ireland uh, among the English. So uh, just draw the connection uh, clearly for anyone who's missing it between this and Prime Day. Well, the big thing is that somewhat inadvertently, um, Cassius gets sort of wrapped up in a an underground movement among the telemarketers who are paid nothing. They work on a a bad commission, but they have no salary, and all you know they have to work constantly. They're sort of their their conditions are poor. A little bit like Amazon fulfillment centers, very much. And when you you know, I don't know if you've seen the story yet, but yesterday was the first i think of three days of a strike by uh warehouse workers uh, for amazon in madrid um it's exactly like that there is a uh, a big movement to strike there is a strike um and just at the sort of crucial moment when it demands that you either join in with the strike or you know side with the side with the uh, management uh Cassius sort of gets an opportunity that uh that winds up driving him away from his comrades and towards success, but the, his success takes a very dark turn. 
So is this, where do I see this? Is it streaming on Amazon? <laughs> um, well, uh, it, I, if it's not now, it will be. I mean, the, the, it hadn't occurred to me the, the incredible irony that that would represent. Uh, but I'm sure one day it will be. Um, but I saw it at, um, at uh, what movie theater did I see? Oh, I saw it at Pacific Place, which was just as, it was just as sort of, well, I'll just go into the maw of commerce to see this <laughs> anti-capitalism movie. But, you know, those kind of ironies are sort of, they seem irrelevant. They're, they seem like ways of diffusing the, you know, serious conversation about the stuff that the movie raises. So this got nationwide release in theaters People yeah can yeah find it if they're in a major city probably uh at a theater near them yes i would imagine that it is in all major cities and in some sort of secondary ones as well and you know the the they probably did a somewhat limited release and then depending on how well it did at the box office um they would expand it that's usually how those things work for anyone who doesn't know, and actually I had to like uh, look into my brain and see if I rem- remembered this, who is Boots Riley? Boots Riley uh, is best known as the leader of a group called The Coup, and you may... <laughs> the, the first association I had with The Coup was um, uh, the week after September 11th, uh, 2001. Um, they had just put out their record. I can't, I'm, I'm spacing on the name of it. Um, but on the cover of the record is a picture of the World Trade Center exploding. And in the lower left-hand corner is a picture of Boots Riley pressing a remote control button that is exploding the bomb of the world on the World Trade Center. And it's, you know, it was a, you know, very (laughs) unfortunate coincidence. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I remember the stranger did um, an interview with him saying, Gosh, you know the timing of this is uh, probably not that propitious. And he and do you, like, do you regret it? Do you? Have, and he he stood behind it. He you know he was making he was making a you know his own kind of statement that happened to incorporate that sort of imagery. Um, clearly not as a uh, not as a means of you know predicting the tragic events, but um, it's just a terrible coincidence. But he's been making really interesting, cool music this whole time, and um, he's been working on this movie for several years. Is this his first film? This is his first feature film. He, I think he's made a short and a, a music video as well, and he developed this at the um, Sundance Institute. So the movie is Sorry to Bother You. Go watch it. Sean Nelson, thanks so much. Thank you. And that's the show. If you've got something you want to say to Rich, Dan, Sean or Katie, call the Blabberphone, 206-302-2063. Or dive on into our Facebook group. It's the Blabbermouth Podcast Facebook group. Thanks to Ahame Filet J. Aluo for making the music we use on the show each week, and to Nancy Hartunian for bringing our blabbering mouths to your ears. <laughs>